Inshallah, I'll be covering today from Muthimin Haj. May Allah Azza wa grant him shifa. He's feeling a little bit sick. Um, with everyone's du'as, inshallah. There's actually a number of teachers who have actually kind of gotten sick today. I don't know, some bug going around. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant them all shifa to us and all, the, all, the, all of them and all of our community members and from all spiritual and physical illnesses. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. And those of us who are participating, please let us sit as close as possible, inshallah. Remember, we are reading from Kitab al-Riqaq. I was reading from Kitab al-Riqaq in Sahih al-Bukhari. If you remember, it is the book, the chapter on those hadith that soften the heart. Soften the heart. وبي قال حدثنا صدق بن الفضل قال أخبرنا يحيى عن سفيان قال حدثني أبي عن منذر عن ربي بن خثيم عن عبد الله رضي الله عنه قال خط النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم خطا مربعا وخط خطا في الوسط خارجا منه وخط خطة صقارا إلى هذا الذي في الوسط من جانبه الذي في الوسط وقال هذا الإنسان وهذا أجله محيط به أو قد أحاط به وهذا الذي هو خارج أماله وهذه الخطط الصغار الأعراض فإن أخطأه هذا نهشه هذا وإن أخطأه هذا نهشه هذا عبد الله رضي الله عنه narrates that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم drew a square then drew a line in the middle of it and let it extend outside the square and then drew several small lines attached to that central line and then said this is the human being and this meaning the square is his lease of life encircles him from all sides or has encircled him and this line which is outside of the square are his hopes and these small lines are the calamities and troubles which may befall him and if one misses him another will snap or overtake him and if the other misses him a third will snap or overtake him I think most of us have heard this hadith before and the purpose of our dars is not to necessarily hear new hadiths but rather it is to revisit all these hadith that you and I have heard and shared many times in the past but focus on it to see that is the reality of that come into us subhanallah today we studied in Tirmidhi a beautiful hadith of the Prophet sallallahu or rather a companion Ubad uh, ibn Samit radiallahu anhu he said that the first knowledge that will be lifted he said do you want me to tell you the first knowledge that will be lifted from the ummah and he said, what is that? SubhanAllah. He called it the first knowledge to be lifted from the ummah. And he responded, he said, Al-Khushu'a. Dedication, concentration, devotion, and salah. He said, a time will come soon that you will enter a masjid and there will not be a single person performing salah with concentration. He said that right after the demise of Rasulullah sallallahu anhu. You will enter a masjid and you will, you, as soon a time will come, you'll enter a masjid and you will not find a single person performing salah with concentration. Allahu Akbar. May Allah forgive us for our own extreme mistakes and lack of dedication and devotion. What is, what is the point here? He called it the first knowledge to be lifted. Knowledge he called khushur is a knowledge. So that tells us that, you see what, that's not knowledge, that's practicality. Because what benefit is knowledge if it's not brought into practice? What benefit is knowledge if it's not put into practice? 
So the lack of khushur is called the lack of knowledge, meaning the lack of the knowledge of the importance of khushur to a degree where you would be wanting to do it. Why is a person not having khushur? Because other things in his mind are bothering him. He's thinking about X, Y, Z. What happens? Because he simply doesn't understand where he is standing. Isn't that the case? If anyone is, is standing in front of the king, how for one instance he is going to uh, you know, allow his motivation or his, his concentration to go towards someone else? Only the person, a child, youngster, uh, some may not understand in whose court he's standing. So he will allow some distraction, something that is around him to uh, you know, allow it to distract him from looking at the king or listening to the king. But otherwise, any sane person, if he's sitting in the court of the king, will be focused. So the, the important point here is that knowledge is that which is in practice. So these ahadith that you and I hear about regularly, it's a beautiful moment for us to reflect. Let's sit with that niyyah right now. That, Ya Allah, I beg you to allow me to, uh, uh, allow me to benefit from what I'm hearing and allow me to put into practice. That whatever I hear, I'm able to immediately put into practice and share it with others. And that I have conviction and yaqeen that this, this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If even one hadith we benefit from like this, and we look to see what degree of it is in our life, our lives will change. So here Rasulullah is giving a teaching by way of example and a, 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 a diagram. Right? Rasulullah is using a visual aid here, pretty much. Right? He's using a visual aid. Instead of just sharing this hadith orally, the Prophet takes his finger or takes a stick on, in the sand and he draws a square. So we, we learn from here that there are many asalib ta'aleem, there are many modes of education. There's this, there are books written on this topic of Nabi salam's teaching methodology. It's beautiful, it's amazing what ulama have written here and what type of insight they have shared while analyzing the hadith of the Prophet who was a Nabiul Mu'allim. He was a teacher. Nabil Mu'allim is, is also a name of a great book written on this topic by Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda. The, Nabi who, the, the, the teaching Nabi. Uh, this comes straight from the Quran. Rabbana the Prophet, oh Allah, send down a Prophet in this nation. Yani Ibrahim salam's dua. Ya Allah, send down a, a Prophet in my progeny. Send down Prophet Muhammad sallallahu What should he do? Recite the verses of the Quran. Purify them, purify their hearts. وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابِ And teach them, teach them الْكِتَابَ Quran وَالْحِكْمَةِ Wisdom. Teach them the Quran and the wisdom. This is the job of the prophets. So teaching is a job of the prophet. It is part of his wadifa, it is part of his responsibility. From here you understand that a teacher, in reality, subhanAllah, is fulfilling a beautiful, huge sunnah of Rasulullah Anyone who's teaching, who's in, the, who's in a teaching profession, or just teaches uh, voluntarily, is actually fulfilling a huge uh, responsibility that this ummah has to teach their new generation what they know. So teaching is not something unfortunately much appreciated today in the world. But uh, we need to understand that this is what Nabi was. He was the best of teachers. So not just a teacher, he was the best of teachers. So here he's using a visual aid to explain a very important concept. What is a concept? It's called Tulul Amal. 
Long drawn out plans. How we should not have long drawn out plans. We should not plan for more than, you know, uh, we, 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 should not, we should not plan for more than uh, we can handle. Don't plan for things that are way, way, way ahead of us. So, so Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam, he draws his square and then he puts a line right in between and this line didn't stop. The line kept on extending beyond the square. I wish there was a diagram here. We should, I, made a, I was thinking about it before I said we should put a diagram. But, uh, so they have the visual aid. <laughs> Actually most many of the books, I think even Muntakhab Hadith, they have this. So those of you who studied, read this hadith in Muntakhab Hadith, there's no visual aids in the Muntakhab Hadith. But this one hadith that you can clearly see, there's a, a diagram actually men- uh, there. So hopefully, inshallah, this is not something too foreign to most of us here. So the Prophet is saying the middle line is that of a human being, and this line does not stop. So you have the square box, the line in between. It doesn't stop where the top line is, it keeps on extending outside. So what is this? The line in between, this is the human's life. This is the human being. And the line that extends beyond the top part of the square, these are his plans, his dreams, his hopes, his desires. This flat line on the top is his death. So usually what happens, a person's meant to live till 68, and he's dreaming till 95. He's meant to live till 42, and subhanAllah, his plans are till 90. He's meant to live till 16, and his plans are till 85. This is what we see around us all the time. So, this hadith has explained that part. Number two, this hadith tells us that life is filled with of difficulties and trials. There's no way around it. There's no way you're gonna be able to get saved and not get problems. The life is... We just talked about it. Life is it's a struggle. The, the struggle is, as they say, the struggle is real. If you don't get hit by some if you don't get hit by one thing, you're gonna get hit by the other thing. Alright? So for example, the Prophet is saying is that you're gonna have difficulties that will grab you from the right, from the left. The word that's been used here is nahash. Nahash is like an animal, when an animal attacks you and causes a wound, a serpent, poisonous snake, etc. Right, comes and attacks a person. This is how difficulties, a death in the family, a loss of a job, back all of a sudden a back injury, all of a sudden a car accident, all of a sudden a problem or a fight with a spouse, problems with children. SubhanAllah, all of us sitting here, my God, if we have a huge laundry list, one mead notebook will not be enough to write all the issues you are currently, as you're sitting here tonight, what you're dealing with. All the fires you're battling. Your daughter's fires, your son's fire, your other son's fire, your other daughter's fire, your grandson, your granddaughter, your mom, your dad, your mother-in-law, father-in-law, your neighbor, your business partner, this second cousin, first cousin. My God, how many issues we are sitting there thinking about every single day. And every single day, subhanAllah, some issue pops up. While one issue pops up, Alhamdulillah, get another two issues get resolved. Right? Seriously, that's true. If these issues didn't get resolved, we wouldn't be able to sit here. We're sitting here because issues do get resolved. But they're constantly new ones popping up. While old ones, or you know, yesterday's die away, new ones come about. This is what life is about. Life is a bunch of issues. Life is a bunch of issues, a bunch of difficulties.
And so Rasulullah is saying, you know, you have to navigate through life and you can't expect that you're not going to have issues. Subah Sham, you're going to get hit with something. Allah will allow you to escape most of these things. And some of the things you won't escape. So you might, have, you might be driving and uh, you know, seven, uh, seven, eight times you pass by a police while going beyond the speed limit, it doesn't pull you over. Ninth or tenth time you're going to get pulled over. For example. Similarly, you have seven or eight close calls with your car. A fender bender was about to happen. You're about, you slammed on your brakes, you barely you know, saved yourself from a car accident. One, two, three, four, fifth time you get hit. Fifth time you hit someone, like that. So expect that once in a while we're going to get, some people have more hits than others. You can ask the insurance companies about this. They have all the data and the statistics on this. But naturally speaking, we all are all not going to always get hit or always going to get saved. It works like this and that. One day for you, one day against you. We were speaking in class today about just how the world is, is, is hurling towards its end and problems. Fitna, fasad in every part of the world is increasing and chaos and, and the, the mis- today, mashallah, this no tech retreat that we just had this past week with our seminary, with the seminary students. It was the, the bulk majority of the talks were about cell phone usage and encouraging, uh, encouraging attendees to understand the harms of cell phones. Dr. Sheikh Hussein Sattar was here and Sheikh Saad Qadri, mashallah, and Imam Umar Suleiman, alhamdulillah, what an amazing lineup uh, for our students and for the community. And all of them were just speaking about the aspect of, do, of, of doing dhikr and staying away from the harms of a cell phone. So now it seems like a pretty um, uphill battle. Right? Uphill battle. Every kid, every one-year-old is crying for a phone. Uh, and, and if you don't give it, he throws a tantrum. Everyone wants a phone. Is that right? That's just the reality. So now you're hearing a sheikh, you're hearing a doctor who's saying, I'm a physician, I'm a professor, and I have, I'm a father of four or five children, etc. But I don't have a cell phone. Huh? Like as you were saying. So now everyone is shocked. How is this possible? How is this possible? But so now, I was telling the students that, you know, the reality is majority of the people are going to have it. Vast majority of people are going to also misuse it too. Someone said, well, what about, uh, there's good apps too. And there's, you know, I, I Google searched to come to the masjid today. Today I didn't even know what time Isha was until I checked the website. Alright? And that's why I'm here. So now, how can you say there's so much harm in the phone? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in the Quran? يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْخَمْرِ وَالْمَيْسِرِ قُلْ فِيهِمَا إِثْمٌ كَبِيرٌ وَمَنَافِعُ لِلنَّاسِ وَإِثْمُهُمَا أَكْبَرُ مِنْ نَفْعِهِمَا That they ask about uh, liquor and wine, intoxicants, and they ask about gambling. Is it halal? Is it haram? Allah says they're asking you. Say, إِثْمُهُمَا أَكْبَرُ مِنْ نَفْعِهِمَا Tell them the sin and the harm in these two things is huge. However, there are things to benefit from that for people. There is benefit in gambling, believe it or not, for, for, for certain people. And there's going to be benefit in also wine. Some benefit for whoever. However, the harm is definitely much more than the benefit. MashaAllah, what a beautiful ayah that we can learn so many principles from. That even the worst things, there may be some benefit in it. But we cannot judge that based on that small benefit. We have to look at what is the majority of it. And the majority is harm, hence it's haram. So, let's, let's not look at the cell phone 
as to say that, okay, I've got, I got guided by this, hence I'm going to spend all my life on this. Vast majority of, of people and youngsters uh, misuse it. I think there was, a, there was a whole talk by Sheikh Saad on Saturday morning for the students. And I think he mentioned that in the talk. The average age for youth to get exposed to haram is the age of nine right now. Nine years old. And the number of, of people you, between men and women who are using it in a wrong sense within the Muslim community is above 70% through these anonymous polls. So if you remember, there was a, there was a talk taking place here with, oh, for high school college students. So one of the presenters said, he mentioned this statistic to high school, Muslim high school students in one school. And so what do you all think about this? That they're saying 73% uh, boys and girls are misusing their phones. They have acknowledged this in their polls. What do you all think about this statistic? And so the, the answer they gave was that if it's 73% who are saying, 73% who are saying that they're misusing it, that means 20% of them are lying. 27% are lying. 100% are misusing it. At least 20, 73% were honest. And 27% are lying. Can you imagine that? This is what these kids are saying. So now when you understand something like that, uh, it's like giving a loaded gun to uh, a child. I've been saying this for so many years. Like since the madrasa opened here. Every time I was like, please do not give your son a his khatam gift. Uh, a iPhone at that time was maybe three or four or whatever. And I said, don't give that. This is, might as well just go buy a gun and give it to him. Maybe he, at least there's a chance he'll save himself, save your family. Worst case, he'll kill himself. Worst case, he'll kill himself. But with phone, he'll lose his iman. Yeah, it's not about death here. It's about the death of iman. Phone, it is about the loss of, of innocence. How do you replace that? You lose your hand is better than losing your innocence. Right? So think about that. This is something which now if you speak like this to people, they think you're crazy, you're a cuckoo. No one wants to believe it because we're living in a world where everything is going opposite. If you say anything like this, which is true, what I'm saying, no one can deny. These are stats. This is how it's being misused. There was a group of ulama in England recently. I saw an audio clip from there that was shared. Who said the ulama sat together and discussed this. And they're like, we have come to a conclusion that it is literally haram to give a phone to a child until he has the ability to discern from right, right from wrong. Until he doesn't have the willpower and the ability to understand it, this is haram. Because it's going to not only harm his dunya, it's going to harm his akhirah. It, it's, it's actually pretty obvious what this is said. It's not like, how is that? Any, anything else too. Anything that, if you're, it, that what does the, the, the government here tell you? If you endanger a child, if you give him something he cannot handle, what, you, know, you cannot go in court and say, well, my 6-year-old or 8-year-old or 12-year-old should have known better. Why he took out the rifle from under my bed and shot himself? It's not going to work. You know that. The laws over here are such. You put it under your bed, you put it inside your thing, they're going to come after you, depending on what state you're in. But they can easily put, put the parents behind the bars. They say, why didn't you do a better job of security? Why can't we say, Bhai is balik, he's mature, he's 12 years old. That same kid, if you can trust him with a phone at 8, why can't we trust him with a gun? Think about it. If you can trust him with a phone, why can't we trust him with a gun? If you think he's not going to misuse the phone, why, are we, why should, why should my, my, my I as a father be held accountable for his misuse of a gun? Because you should have the brains. I trusted him with an iPhone 14 and an Android, whatever else, the latest Samsung 10 or flip phone, whatever these things are. I trust him with that. I trust him that he's not going to go on YouTube and watch something inappropriate to go listen to an ex-Muslim's video, audio, read stuff on Reddit. I'm trusting that he won't do all of those things. And what do we tell the people? We say that, you know, we have to, we have to let them learn. We have to let their wings spread. Let them learn by choice. 
If you keep them super sheltered, then they will never learn. Say, you know, this is what parents say. So with that same token, why don't we use that for drugs, use that for alcohol, use that for guns, use that for everything else. So this is where we're being hit by shaitan, big time. So now, it looks like it's a, you know, it looks like a very depressing situation. Where how are we gonna protect ourselves when the whole world is doing this? What are we gonna do? And if the world is just going worse and worse and worse, how are we gonna handle this? And the answer, subhanAllah, one, one student asked me, he's like, how do you keep, how do you stay hopeful when everything is going so messed up? <laughs> so I told him, like, you know what? From Muslims, Muslims' perspective, this dunya from beginning to end was built to be destroyed. This is not our end, end place. It's like a mock uh, you know, a uh, thing that you do in, in, uh, before the real thing. You, you say, let's try out, take the scaffolding, build something over here, take these blocks, let's build something over here, take a model and build something here, and then after it's done, we'll break it apart and go do it in the real place. So this entire dunya, Allah Azza wa says, وَمَا هَذِي الْحَيَةُ دُنْيَا إِلَّا لَهُمْ This worldly life is nothing but play and enjoyment. وَإِنَّ الدَّارَ الْآخِرَةَ لَهِيَ الْحَيَوَانِ Indeed, the worldly life is the ultimate life. I'm sorry, the, indeed, the life of the akhirah is the ultimate life. So the Muslim's perspective is, everything here is gonna come to an end, and we expect it that's gonna get worse. The key thing is, I need to protect myself and my family and as many people as I can. So the Sha'ir, poet, he always used to mention this in Dars of Bukhari. He says, a poet, he say, the poet says, أَلَا يَا صَاحِبَ الْقَصْرِ لَهُ مَلَكٌ يُنَادِي كُلَّ يَوْمٍ Oh, the one who lives in, in the... Uh, fortified big palace. Oh, the one who owns and lives in a fortified big palace. Listen, lahu malakun yunadi There is an angel that there is an angel that announces every day. There is an angel that is making a call every day, and that that call is lidulil mauti. Give birth, give birth. Bache jano lidu give birth lil mauti for them to die. And keep on building, keep on building for all your buildings to become empty and desolate. Any, this is the example of Lam al The Lamb which comes Lil Maut and Lil Kharab. The Lamb that comes to show what is the ending of something. So it's a happy occasion. Child is born, baby is born. MashaAllah, a very happy occasion. But say, this is correct. That he, as soon as he's born, he's rushing towards his death. He came here to die. Every one of us, we came here to leave. This is just, we're walking through the terminal from one end to the other. Walking from one side of this uh, soccer field to the other. That's it. You enter to get out from the other side. So we come into this dunya to leave. And what else he says? You build for it to become desolate and destroyed. So with that perspective, this is not a pessimistic perspective. This is actually pretty uh, you know, real and also optimistic because you say, Alhamdulillah, dunya is not the end all. Although it seems bleak and depressing, mashallah, but it's gonna be a beautiful sunny day in the akhirah. Right? And there's gonna be, if, you're on the, if you die on the right side of the fence, you will be resurrected on the right side of the fence, and you will have a life of amazing enjoyment. No matter if you are the only one standing up for the truth while everyone else is going the other way. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about how depressing it is. It is just, you just, you make sure you don't falter and waver. Even if the entire world pulls you in the other direction, you say, I'm going to, Stand by the truth. 
Ulama have written regarding Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah. What is Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah? The people of Sunnah and the people of Jama'ah. Or more, you know this as the people who follow Rasulullah and the people who follow the Sahaba. Who is Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah? How many people is that? What group is that? So, in Risalat al Mustarshideen, Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda, in writing in the commentary in the Hashi of it, he, he has a beautiful discussion on this and he mentions the statements of various scholars. He said, sometimes Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah or Haq, the truth, will be one person. Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah will be one, right here. One person. Because he says, Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah does not mean it has to be millions of people. Truth does not require numbers. Such an amazing point. Truth does not require numbers. The, tr- the truth and haq is wherever the truth Allah wishes to be, wills to be, that's it. Even if it's two people, three people, one person. This is statements from hundreds of years ago. That Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah and haq is wherever the usul, wherever the principles are being followed, even if it be one individual. So that also should give us some type of hope that we need to do what's right, regardless of who's supporting us and who's not, what the people are saying. So we said this, this dunya is you're gonna get hit from all sides. In Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if He wills, you'll get saved. And once in a while, you'll get hit by something. Let's, what did the Quran say? Allah Azza wa says, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدٍ لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدٍ Indeed, we have created the human being in difficulty. Yani, the way the human being has come is so difficult. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have made it like you know, a blink of an eye, switching the light on and off, water flowing out of the tap, the child being born could have been as simple as that. Why he made it so difficult? That's how Allah made it. The most painful thing that any human being has to go through is a mother going through childbirth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is basically sending a signal that this world is not going to be easy. Your birth itself is so painful and for many, death is even more painful. May Allah protect us and make it, our death easy for us. I mean, Rabbil Alameen. So if death is going to be so hard, Allah forbid, and d- birth was definitely so hard, what do you expect the life in between? It's not going to be a walk in the park. Uh, it is definitely going to be challenging. Because I'm saying this for myself and all of us, because every one of us is going through so many different challenges and difficulties, and you wonder, Ya Allah, when is it going to stop? We're not going to stop. If it stopped, then that means you've already died maybe in your Jannah. Your ruh has already reached Aliyin. It's going to be continuous tug of war between you and your nafs and shaitan. That's on a daily basis. One day you win, one day you lose. One day you get up and mashallah, you, alhamdulillah, you have such a great day. You take care of all your work, all your responsibilities, you've done all your adhkar, you did your tilawat of the Quran, you gave your sadaqah, you've been able to do khidmah, you feel so happy. The next day, subhanAllah, you miss your fajr. And the next day after that, you know, you, miss, you, you, you forget they had to pray lower, you're at work. And then you didn't even get a chance to do dhikr, you're Isha time, you're like, I haven't even read Surah Yasin yet. It happens. So now, we, we repent, seek forgiveness from Allah, and stand up and move forward. You can't allow that to bog you down. And to say, oh my God, I'm gonna sit and cry about this. This is a big waswasa people have. I have people, many people message me like this. Every day they want to message, what should I do about my sin? By Allah told you, next day, what should I do about my sin? This is waswasa kibimari. That they can't get it out of their mind. They keep on thinking again and again and again and again about this sin I did this time, this many years ago. I can't get that out of their mind. This is shaitan's method of trying to make you depressed. Make you overwhelmed. Do not fall for it. Don't fall for it. Just say, I don't care. That's why the ulama say, if you have a problem of waswasa in salah, that you keep on thinking that your wudu broke, or drops of urine have come, or you're, you're past wind, etc. Keep on thinking. 
You keep on doing wudu, back and forth, back and forth. There are brothers and sisters who have this problem. 45 minutes, 60 minutes for a two rakat salah. Back and forth in the wudu area, back and forth in the sink, in the bathroom. So if someone has a problem like this, what they say is you, have, you, they have, you teach them afkar, rajim, and you know, basically this uh, other afkar like this and protect themselves from this. And then tell the shaitan that you know what? I'm performing salah for Allah. And you know what? If I missed my one elbow, guess what? Choro. Allah dekai. Allah is looking at me. Allah doesn't want me to spend 45 minutes on two rakat salah. Allah is watching me. How much water should I sit here? How many times should I rub myself trying to redo my wudu? Allah is watching and I'm going to pray my salah like this. This is how you fight back to shaitan. You have to tell him, I didn't pray salah for you. I prayed for Allah and I'm going to pray just like this. So what are you going to do about it? This is the method. Fight back to say you're praying only for Allah. And Allah will, Allah will take care of your uh, uh, you know, salah and wudu. So this is how to... Uh, fight back that's waswasa. So we, we say what we said here is that this this whole discussion here is about tulul amal. Ulama have mentioned that there are f- few ways how shaitan enters the human being, attacks the human being, and we'll uh, we will uh, like I'd like to share this so uh, d- uh, these points on here. Madakhilu shaitan, right? How does shaitan enter into the human being? Mentions that. Uh, number one is al-jahl. Al-jahl. First one is through ignorance. When a person is ignorant, right, he doesn't know how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He doesn't know what is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what's not. And he ends up making major mistakes. Jahl about who Allah is. How Allah is merciful. How, what are the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That's why Rasulullah said, Faqihun wahidun ashaddu ala shaytani min alfi abid. One true scholar is more difficult for shaytan to handle than 1,000 worshippers. One scholar who's a faqih, who's a jurist, shaytan would rather take on 1,000, not fasiq people, abid people, worshippers, but they don't have knowledge. Through knowledge, so then he ends up so easily misleading them. Without knowledge, we can be so easily misled. But to mislead a scholar, especially the one who is in, in the state of vikr and connected with Allah, is much harder. That's why, when you understand this hadith, you will understand why Shaitan hates students of the madrasa. You understand? Why he hates anyone who's got a backpack and going to madrasa? He says, Ah, this guy's my target. A 999 students going to public school, Islamic school, and high school, and university, and college. He says, go. The one bichara from the entire neighborhood who decided to go to madrasa, you'll see all the shaitans after him. This is the hadith telling you. Because he's scared. If this guy goes and he graduates as a scholar, well, I'm going to have big problems. He's going to become general for the 999. And he's going to bring those 999 against me. So I might as well knock out the general. And these people they will be misled themselves without a general. So students of knowledge are in actually general school, officer school, lieutenant school, whatever you want to call it. That is why if you have your son or daughter wanting to study in the deen, you will see that they'll have a lot of obstacles, a lot of challenges. And those boys and girls who are listening to me, who are studying, who are students of knowledge anywhere, full-time, part-time, etc. But you really have a goal of being a talib al-ilm, 
you will see so many things start coming your way that never used to come before. I see this every single day. Every single day, kids come to me and say, but I had completely good health. I don't understand what happened. As soon as I enrolled, all these you know, things happened. But I tell them, this is expected, expected, expected. Because you are coming to study ilm, and shaitan knows very well that the potential you have, that once you study ilm and you come out and you graduate, how much harm you can cause his armies. He doesn't like that. May Allah protect us from the plots and the plans of Iblis. Allah wa Junudi. We owe Allah, we seek refuge in you from Iblis and his army. So that is why the importance of ilm is there. That we should all acquire the basic of ilm and allow our children to study ilm to a, to a degree where we can protect ourselves from shaitan. Number two, place where shaitan enters the human being is al-ghadab, anger. Right? Uh, this is one of the great plots and plans of shaitan because just like a child plays with a ball, soccer ball, similarly, shaitan plays with a human being's mind when he's angry. Soccer ball, you kick in any direction and the ball doesn't respond back. Say, hey, why are you kicking me? You kick me right, left, north, south, you'll go. Similarly, a human being when he becomes angry, shaitan has full grasp and control over him. He says things which he cannot believe he said afterwards. He does things which he cannot believe he did so. What happened? Shaitan has to just come one thing, light the fire of anger and done deal. And that's why Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam mentioned in the hadith, he saw a group of people that were fight, uh, wrestling with one another. The Prophet said, what is this? This man is so strong, anyone who tries to compete him in wrestling, he puts him to the ground. The Prophet ﷺ immediately brought their attention to deen. He said, Afala adullukum ala man hu min ocha. He is the hero. No one can beat him. I'll tell you what. How about I tell you of someone who actually is stronger than him? Someone who can beat him. Rajulun kallamahu rajulun. He says, A man who spoke to another man. Fakadama ghaidahu. And he made him angry, but this man held in his anger. فَغَلَبَهُ وَغَلَبَ شَيْطَانَهُ وَغَلَبَ شَيْطَانَ صَاحِبِي MashaAllah This man, he said something to anger you But you drank your anger, what have you done? This man, he has conquered his own shaitan Conquered himself And conquered the shaitan of his companion Three people Conquered himself Conquered his shaitan And conquered the shaitan of his companion the one who when someone says something to you that upsets you, but you hold back and don't respond. This man, Rasulullah said, is stronger than this hero you're saying is out here wrestling. And we realize how hard that is. Because that's where shaitan's effort is there. The Prophet ﷺ was approached by a man and he said, Rasulullah told, he asked Rasulullah tell me about tell me of an action that will allow me to enter Jannah. The Prophet said, Do not get angry and you will have Jannah. Beloved friends, we need to be smart. Our shaitan is so smart, but Allah didn't make us fools either. We, we need to be smart. We need to know what our weakness is. Say someone is on a diet. He's on a sugar-free diet. Or he's trying to stay away from extra carbs. He knows that, you know what? Sweets are my weakness. Why should I go with you to a bakery? I'll wait in the car. Or I won't come. You get whatever you need to. I need to know my weakness. Why should I go to a place where I know this is my weakness? 
right? So similarly, when a person knows, say anger is his weakness, because there are many people, many people who say, I have anger problems, I have anger management issues. Well, if we have anger management issues, then the simple thing is that when you see it coming, when you foresee it, that if I am in this situation, I am going to get angry, because then you should simply not go to that situation. Say, you told someone not to mm, trespass you over your lawn. Okay, it's kids, kids in the neighborhood. So now they did it again. Okay, why, you know that you're going to go lose your temper like crazy in a manner that's just not acceptable. So then don't go. Tell someone else from the house to go speak to them. Say, boys, please, we've already told you not to do this again. Right? So stop doing it. Maybe they can raise a voice, they can be stern, whatnot. But they need to be able to control themselves. How can you get scold someone else when you lose your own self? It's, it's useless. You've lost yourself in the name of controlling someone else when you have no control over yourself. So we need to know when are we get, we should feel it. We should feel the storm. Like they say, hurricane is coming. Huh? The, the, the storm is coming. You should feel it. Okay, anger is going to come. Let me stay away from that situation. Similarly, husbands and wives were fighting with each other. Whoever I have if a person knows that my wife will say something that's gonna anger me, or my husband will say something that's gonna anger me, don't come face to face in the first place. Just go avoid it. Go to your room. Go to another place. You know, stay away. Go do will do. Stand up and start praying salah. Right? Or or read, you know, some surahs. Just do something else. Do not engage that partner because you know it's gonna cause major problems. Wait till the storm passes. Then you go speak to them. Right now, if you speak to them, it's just going to cause bigger problems. So what I'm trying to say is we need to be a little smart when it comes to ghadam. We should know that this is our weakness, and we have to make sure when it's coming, we run. Like you go under the bunker, or you run away when you know the storm is coming. Number three, uh, uh, yani this is a beautiful long section on, on ghadam, but khair. All right, alhamdulillah, this is for another time. Number three is hubbad dunya. The way shaitan comes to us is through love of material things. Because shaitan himself, he has, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions in the Quran how shaitan beautifies things. And so he has made, uh, made things, certain things beautiful of this dunya. Allah Azza wa Jal says that Allah, uh, that shaitan has mentioned, he says, uh, that indeed I am going to, لَأُزَيِّنَنَّ لَهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَأُغْوِيَنَّهُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ I am going to, I am going to make things beautiful for them. I am going to make things attracted for them. And I am going to mislead them all. I am going to mislead them all. This is what shaitan, he warns in the Quran. So this is the sad thing. The love of dunya is something he is going to use us, utilize us by. Rasulullah mentioned in a hadith, إِنَّ dunya حُلْوَةٌ khadira. Indeed, dunya is sweet and green, lush. وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ مُسْتَخْلِفَكُمْ فِيهَا And indeed, Allah has made you a khalifa in this earth. فَيَنْظُرَ كَيْفَ تَعْمَلُونَ Allah will be looking at how you act in this world. فَاتَّقُوا الدُّنْيَا So protect yourself from indulging in dunya. وَاتَّقُوا nisa And protect yourself from falling into the trial of women. These are two fitnas and tests that Allah has kept for men. One is dunya, material things, and one is the attraction towards women. So if a person, Mawlana, this Qadi Fadlullah Dhamma Barakatuhum, who came here and gave the dars of Sahih al-Bukhari, the final dars from California, if you remember, he was saying when his father and his sheikh sent him, I think he might have said it here in the bayan too, so when, he, when he came to America three, four decades ago, 
He told them the same hadith or the gist of this hadith. I mean, you go into America, but make sure you protect yourself from these two fitness. So his students who were here with him were saying, the Qadi Saab is so careful that, uh, that when it comes to uh, you know, money and even counting the money, etc. He says he has the other people. He says he never touches a dollar bill, nothing. From the donation box, whatever he says, he, does it, he stays away from it. He says, this is my advice that I heard. Mashallah, he also didn't have a cell phone, if you remember. No cell phone. And second thing is that even if a lady comes for counseling, talaq issue, nakah issue, etc., you know, he says, always he will ask one of our students, one of the students at the masjid or his own, to come sit by. But they say, no, it's a private issue. I cannot speak in front of another person. So he says, okay, fine. You sit over there by that corner, and then you have this, the, the sit, keep the door of the office open, and have the sister sit over here, while the person is right in, you know, in, in, in the vision of, of Qazi Saab. He says, that's how. He said, even at this age, he makes sure he always never uh, sits in seclusion with any non-mahram. That's yani, exactly how it's supposed to be. Because these are the two major uh, trials that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept for us. So hubbud dunya is the love for material things is how shaitan attacks us. How many are we done so far? Three, right? What was the first one? Ignorance. And second one? Anger. Third? Love for dunya. Number four is tulul amal. Long drawn out plans. And this is where this hadith comes in. Alright, this hadith comes in here. Right? That uh, the person, what does shaitan do? He tries to make him plan out for the future and do taswif. Taswif, come on, sofa, sofa. I'm going to do it later on. Sofa, and his Arabic word, not the sofa you sleep on, but the sofa, seen wafa. I guess if you sleep on the sofa too, then you're just also procrastinating. Maybe, right? So, reclining, not sleeping, you're reclining on the sofa and just relaxing. So, uh, lazily. So, taswif is to delay, procrastinate. So shaitan comes and he says, there's delay, do it tomorrow, do it tomorrow. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned hadith, لا يزال قلب الكبير شابا في اثنتين في حب الدنيا وطول الأمل That no matter how old a man becomes, his heart remains young in two things. جتنا ببورا ہو جائے انسان With regards to two things, he, becomes, he remains young in two things. What is the first one? حب الدنيا Love for dunya doesn't cease. Even if he's very old, he always is wanting to buy a latest car, latest home, latest gadget. When, subhanAllah, we may have one, as they say, one leg already in the grave. But unfortunately, this doesn't. Like the life is gone now of enjoyment. There was your young, youthful years, you understand that. Now is the time to do Allah, Allah in the masjid. But subhanAllah, hubbat dunya is something that doesn't go away from a person. Illa mashaAllah. And number two, turul amal. Long drawn up plans. You heard uh, that, in, in, that a scholar one day, he made an announcement and he said to his students, I have some great news to you. And they said, what is the news? They said, Malakul uh, Maut has just passed away. And everyone said, Shaykh, are you okay? Malakul Maut has, maybe someone added something in your pan today, huh? What did you say? Malakul Maut has passed away. So then he said, no, you didn't hear? That's this, this extremely uh, old man, he had just had an open house. An extremely elderly person. He built a huge home and he had an open house. This can only be, the only reason for him doing this would be because he's got news that Malakul Maut has died. That's why at the senior age, instead of focusing on deen and building his abode in Akhirah, he is spending his time building a home. And now, he's calling everyone to visit his home when it's the time for him to actually pack up and leave to the Akhirah. And he was a way of teaching his students that why are we wasting our time? Ali radiallahu anhu has mentioned in one saying, which I usually mention in every Jummah khutbah, 
ارتحلت الدنيا مدبرة The dunya has began to wrap up ارتحلت كمانه سفر کرنا شروع کیا Dunya has started moving مدبرة with its back turned towards you وارتحلت الاخرة تو مقبلة And hereafter has started traveling with its face turned towards you Dunya is walking backwards away آخر is walking towards you وَلِكُلِّ وَاحِدِ مِنْهُمَا بَنُونَ And dunya and akhira, both of them have their sons. Harikki bache. Dunya has its uh, lovers, akhira has its lovers. فَكُونُوا مِنْ أَبْنَاءِ الْآخِرَةِ Become from the sons of the hereafter. Become from the sons of akhira. وَلَا تَكُونُوا مِنْ أَبْنَاءِ الدُّنْيَا Do not become from the sons of the dunya. فَإِنَّ الْيَوْمَ عَمَلٌ وَلَا حِسَابٌ Because today is a time for action while there will be no punishment or recompense. There's no place for reward or punishment here. It's about action, action, action. Tomorrow, Tomorrow it's only about recompense and no opportunity to do any deeds, good or bad. Subhanallah. So when a person thinks about this, these type of statements, he begins to think that, uh, you know, I really cannot be planning out they say future planning, future planning. Yes, future planning is important, but the future planning should focus on where you're going to live majority of your time. And that's the thing. They say a, a, a boy or a girl is getting married, and they say, okay, nikah is now, and then in one year we're going to finish up our college, then we're moving to uh, overseas to some country. Set. So he said, we need to plan for the future. Okay. If you're going to plan for the future, you're going to a foreign country. You're going to Turkey, you're going to Dubai, you're going to Pakistan, or wherever you're going to live the rest of your life. You have one year here to finish up your college and then the rest of the life you're going to be over there. When you say plan for the future, what should you plan for? Should you be investing all your time and effort into building the house in America? Or should you be focusing on where you're traveling to? It's common sense. Plan for the future, I agree with you. But plan for where you're going to spend majority or all of your time besides the one year that you're living here. So when you say let's plan for the future, beta, beti, let's, we are only here for the next few decades, that's it. But we're going to be in akhirah forever, forever, forever. So every decision that we make, who we get married to, which college we attend, what our major is, where do we live, what neighborhood, what subdivision, what type of person, how do we raise our kids, all of those things, the main thing we got to keep in line and keep in mind is the bachonka future banjai. Bachonka future, what a subhanallah, you know, ajib word this is. Like the future of the kids. Which future? The future of eternity, the future of infinite number of years, not the future of 2, 5, 15, 20 years. That's, this world is all just a few years. We, when you say, I have to make decisions based on the future, my beloved friends, remember that the future is akhirah. So make a decision of where you want to live, who you want to marry, what type of profession you want to have, what type of college you want to send your kids, based on this, on the future of akhirah. And then lastly is al-hirs, greed. The way shaitan gets to us, number five, is greed. Right? Greed for more. Kaab bin Malik narrates that Rasulullah said, مَا ذِئْبَانِ جَائِعَانِ أُرْسِلَ فِي غَنَمٍ بِأَفْسَدِ لَهَا مِنْ حِرْسِ الْمَرْءِ عَلَى الْمَالِ وَالشَّرَفْ لِدِينِ Ajeeb hadith. Two hungry wolves let loose in a flock of sheep cannot cause and will not cause more harm. Let's think about it. A flock of sheep that are together, 10 of them, in one small area. And you have two hungry wolves that have been allowed to enter this crawl. What's gonna happen? Huh? What's gonna happen? He says, they are gonna cause immense harm. They're gonna kill half of them. 
and they're gonna wound the others, they cannot cause more harm than two spiritual wolves or two wolves that come attacking your spirituality. What is that one? One wolf is called المال, a man's greed for money. And number two, a man's greed or desire to be recognized and known for his religiosity. I want to be well known and I want to be treated and respected based on my religiosity. If that comes into a person or greed for money comes into a person, the way it will ruin a person is something more than two hungry wolves can ruin a flock of sheep. The Prophet said, Inna li fitna. Indeed, every ummah has a test. And the fitna of my ummah is wealth. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned another hadith. Man ushriba. Man ushriba. Man ushriba hubbad dunya. Iltata minha bithalaf. Shaka'an la yanfudu anha. Wahirsun la yablugu ghinaha. Wa'amlun la yablugu muntahaha. Ajib hadith. Whoever has been fed the love of dunya, he is going to suffer three things. Whoever has been fed ushriba, he's been poured in. Like a water bottle is filled with water. Similarly, whose heart has been filled up with the love of dunya, he's going to go through three problems. Shaka'un. He's going to suffer such a wretchedness, which will never end. Wahirsun. Such greed, that he will never become rich. Wa'amalun. And such long drawn up plans, which he will never be able to see the end of. Which he will never be able to see the end of. Number three things. He will suffer wretchedness which you will never be able to end. Greed, which you will never be able to become free from and never become rich. Amalun, and such drawn up plans that you will never be able to see the end. فَالدُّنْيَا طَالِبَ matluba. So dunya is seeking and is being sought. This is continuing the hadith. Dunya is seeking and is also sought. فَمَنْ طَلَبَ dunya, Whoever begins to run after the dunya, طَلَبَتْهُ الْآخِرَةِ Akhirah will, uh, will come running after him. Hatta yudrikahul maut until death will overtake him. Woman talab al akhirah and whoever desires akhirah, talabatu dunya. Dunya will come running after him. Hatta yistofi minha rizqahu until he is able to fulfill, get all his risk. Dunya ki, what am I supposed to do with this? You're running towards akhirah. I've got your package. Come on. I've got your hadiyah. I've got your gift. Please. He'll come, dunya will come chasing after you when you run towards the akhirah. And dunya will say, take this from me. As Rasulullah said, لَن تَمُوتَ نَفْسٌ حَتَّى تَسْتَكْمِنَ رِزْقَهَا No nafs can die until it fulfills every ounce of risk. فَأَجْمِلُوا فِي الطَّلَبِ That's why when you go to seek dunya, do it nicely. Take it easy. Don't overdo it. أَجْمِلُوا Do it nicely. Don't overdo it. Because you can never die until you've eaten the last grain of rice that's meant for you, the last sip of water that's meant for you. No one's saying not work, but don't kill yourself over it. What you should, what you should actually be focused about is the akhirah. When you run towards the akhirah, our, our elders give in the bayan all the time, beautiful example of what? That, of the shadow. The sun is the source of, all khay, of light. When you run towards that source of light, what happens? Behind you will be your shadow. You go around the whole entire world two, three times, the shadow will never leave you. Never leave you. The shadow will keep on. You enter a building, the shadow will walk with you. You go outside, the shadow will walk with you. You go inside a jungle, the shadow will walk. Wherever it is, the shadow will be at your feet. And then you turn your back to the source of light, the sun. 
and you start saying, oh, I'm interested in this, and start chasing the shadow like a cat does sometimes, or maybe a little child does, I will go chase my shadow. You go around the whole world three times also, five times, you will never be able to catch up to that shadow. So they say, Allah is the source of all barakah and risk in our life. Risk, barakah, happiness, everything. You turn and I turn my attention towards Allah, Allah will bring the dunya to our feet. And as soon as we put our back towards Allah, and we think that everything else will come right, I need to first, Abi bas, I'll remember you now. Let me just take care of this MCAT. Let me take care of this LSAT. Let me just take care of this SAT. Let me just take care of this medical entrance exam. Let me take care of this uh, geometry exam. Then I'll remember Allah. Let me take care of this board exam. Then I'll remember Allah. Or let me just finish building the house. Let me still finish paying off the car. Let me just finish my residency. Let me finish getting married. Let me finish taking care of my first child. Before you know it, let me just finish getting to the grave. Then we'll talk. Subhanallah. Right? So if a person, this is never gonna end. <laughs> you're gonna chase that dr- dream, you're never gonna find that. Instead, we start chasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah jalla jalalu. People say, America is a place where you chase your dreams. How many people actually get it? Alhamdulillah, we're sitting here, Allah has blessed us. Not because of where we are, but because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, rather willed for us, to, Alhamdulillah, to have what we have. But how many thousands, you don't have to go far. These bichara Chicago people, every single weekend you have 65, 85, 95 shootings. Yeah, in certain areas of, of Chicago, what dream are they getting? They've been here for 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, subhanAllah. Right? What type of difficult life every single day? It's so sad. It's like a war zone. You read the newspaper of how many died over the weekend. Already from Saturday morning, the numbers start coming. Right? It's crazy. So that's America. So where's that dream over there? What happened to that, you know, the, the American dream for them? And for not them, only for millions of other people too. Millions of other people in this country who have horrible lives in terms of material things. But subhanAllah, when you start chasing the, the dream of the akhirah, and you start chasing Allah, you start chasing the hereafter, then no matter where you are, how you are, and when you died, you died early, you died at the age of 10, your kids died early, your house burnt out, no matter what, you're successful. That's beautiful. That's what I, I don't know about you, but I think this sounds nice. That you chase a dream that you will definitely get. And that you will definitely win regardless of what zip code you're born in, regardless of what passport you have, regardless of what skin color you have, regardless of what language you speak, regardless of how much education you get, regardless of what type of school options you had, food options you have. It doesn't make a difference. If you chase the akhirah, you will always be successful. And if you do the other way around, 99% of the people are not going to make it. The 1% does and they start looking down upon the rest and say, hey, you didn't work hard enough. Please. Right? That's, not how, that's not how it is. We're not here because we just worked hard enough. We're here because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed us. And so, and tested us. Not just blessed us, tested us. So we have to be grateful and thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But make niyyah now, inshaAllah. That Ya Allah, whatever remainder I have in my life, I need to dedicate this to building my akhirah. Difficulties will come at me, and I may save, get saved by one or the end, might get hit by the other. But definitely death will come, and then all of those difficulties will be out the door, and the death will, will completely bring an end to everything. Whenever we think about difficulties, think about the fact that this difficulty will be no more after death. And whenever we think about happiness, think about that, that this happiness will also end. If I don't do things in the long run, that will make me happy. Like a child is laughing, kuch sabak kuch he's laughing, joking around. And when the mother says, Acha, wait, wait till your dad comes, you'll see. Then your smile is gonna be off. Hmm? At least that's how they used to say it before, not anymore. Right? So, so, the, so now what happens? SubhanAllah. He sa- he's, he, he's saying he's laugh. He saying, if you laugh all day right now, you know, when dad comes, you're not going to have any laugh. Well, Allah is telling us the same thing here. In the, in the dunya, if you're just sitting here enjoying, enjoying, 
This laughter is going to come to an end at the Akhirah. Allah says in the Quran, فَلْيَضْحَكُوا قَلِيلًا وَلْيَبْكُوا كَثِيرًا These munafiqeen hypocrites, learn how to laugh less and cry more. Because you're going to, you, this, is, this laughing will end very soon. And so, the, reading such a hadith and studying these hadith, the benefit, the purpose of this is to soften our hearts and to recalibrate our compass and to remind us that we have to prepare for the day you and I have to leave this world. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be prepared. May Allah allow us to lead every day as though it's our last. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us always to remember death. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to lead a life that if someone were to look at us, they can tell that we are true Muslims who are preparing for death every day. And they should not think that these people think that they are here to live forever. And they should never fall into that deception. Let us do dhikr for a few minutes.